morning. How are you guys today? How are you guys this morning? Good. For those of you that don't know me, my name is Dave Shive. Um, I'm one of the pastors here at TBA. Uh, I often forget to introduce myself uh, because I make the assumption that everybody knows who I am. But if you've been coming to TBA only for probably the last five weeks, you've probably never seen me up here, and you might be wondering, who is this guy? And why does there seem to be a different guy up here every week? Well, one of the things that you'll find out quick about TBA is that we do everything in team here in TBA. I mean, we have teams for everything, cafe, ushers, children's ministry, youth, everything is done in team. And so we model that same concept, that same value that we have in our teaching. And so you will see a team of guys up here and probably a different guy every week uh, giving the message. So the good news is, is if you really don't like what I have to say, you only have to hear me about once every five weeks. So... Um, I want to start this morning by reading, uh, uh, reading you a story. <clears throat> On Monday morning, October the 2nd, 2006, a gunman entered a one-room Amish school in Nichols Mines, Pennsylvania. And in front of 25 horrified pupils, 32-year-old Charles Carl Roberts IV ordered the boys and the teachers to leave. And after tying the legs of the ten remaining girls, Roberts prepared to shoot them execution-style with an automatic rifle and 400 rounds of ammunition that he brought for the task. The oldest hostage, a 13-year-old girl, begged Roberts to shoot her first and let the little ones go. Refusing her offer, he opened fire on all of them, killing five and leaving the others critically wounded. He then shot himself as police stormed the building. His motivation, I'm angry at God for taking my little daughter, he told the children before the massacre. On the evening of the shooting, Amish neighbors from the Nickel Mines community gathered together to talk about their feelings of grief with each other and with mental health counselors. According to reports by counselors who attended the grief section, the Amish family members grappled with a number of questions. Do we send our kids to school tomorrow? What if they want to sleep in our beds tonight? Is that okay? But one question that might surprise outsiders that came up over and over again was they wondered, what can we do to help the family of the shooter? See, plans were already underway for a horse and buggy caravan to visit the Charles Roberts family with offers of food and condolences. See, the Amish don't automatically translate their grieving into revenge. Rather, they believe in redemption. The story captured the attention of broadcast and print media in the United States and around the world. And by Tuesday morning, some 50 television crews had clogged the small village of Nichols Mines, staying for five days until the killer and the killed were buried. The blood was barely dry on the schoolhouse floor when the Amish parents brought words of forgiveness to the family of the one who had slain their children. A Roberts family spokesman said, an Amish neighbor confronted, uh, not confronted, com- comforted the Roberts family hours after the shooting and extended forgiveness to them. Amish community members visited and comforted Robert's widow, his parents, and his parents-in-law. One Amish man held Robert's sobbing father in his arms for an hour to comfort him. They even set up a charitable fund for the family of the shooter. Thursday's 
funeral, cer- funeral ceremonies of the victims were made even more touching and heartbreaking as four of the little girls were buried um, and the Amish turned the other cheek. With television uh, and newspaper cameras kept at a distance and police helicopters enforcing a no-fly zone overhead, one of the few non-Amish guests invited to the funeral of seven-year-old Naomi Rose Ebersol, the first little girl to be buried, was Marie Roberts, the killer's wife. With tears in her eyes, Miss Roberts sat in the back of one of the 34 black horse-drawn carriages that were part of the funeral procession. Behind Naomi's horse-drawn hearse, on the way from the church to the hilltop cemetery, the procession passed by Mrs. Roberts' home where her husband, Charles, loaded up his guns before heading into the village school on Monday. On Saturday, 75 Amish mourners who made up half of those in attendance joined family and friends for the funeral of the Pennsylvania truck driver who killed five Amish girls before taking his own life. Charles Carl Roberts IV was laid to rest in the graveyard of the Georgetown United Methodist Church. And the cemetery isn't far from the school where the shootings took place, and it's not far from the Amish graveyard where his victims are buried. The Amish came to the burial grave and gave condolences to Roberts' wife and three children. The outside world was incredulous that such forgiveness could be offered so quickly for such a heinous crime. I mean, of the hundreds of media queries that authors received about the shootings, questions about forgiveness rose to the top. Forgiveness, in fact, eclipsed the tragic story, trumping the violence and arresting the world's attention. Some commentators criticized the the quick and complete forgiveness with which the Amish responded, arguing that forgiveness is inappropriate when no remorse has been expressed and that such an attitude runs the risk of denying the existence of evil. Donald Craybill and two other scholars of Amish life noted that letting go of grudges is a deeply rooted value in Amish culture, which remembers forgiving martyrs like Jesus Christ. They explained that the Amish willingness to forgo vengeance does not undo the tragedy or pardon the wrong, but rather it consists of a step forward to a future that is more hopeful. Marie Roberts wrote an open letter to her Amish neighbors, thanking them for their forgiveness, their grace and mercy. And she wrote, Your love for our family has helped to provide the healing we so desperately need. Gifts that you have given us have touched our hearts in no way that words can describe. Your compassion has reached beyond our family, beyond our community, and it's changing our world. And for this, we sincerely thank you. Now, I don't know about you, but when this, was, when this story was unfolding, I can remember saying to myself, I don't know if I can do what they're doing. I mean, if it was my son that was shot, I just don't know that I could easily hand out forgiveness. I mean, I'd like to be able to say that I could, but I've got to be honest with you. I don't think I could do it. I think my anger and grief would just be too great to overcome and forgiveness would be just too hard to do but forgiveness is often hard it is even when the wound suffered isn't as deep as the loss of a loved one forgiveness is still hard for us because it goes against our very nature I mean one of the reasons I think forgiveness is so hard is because the pain that happens 
in a broken relationship is real pain, and it hurts. So when we are hurt, we naturally don't want to be hurt again. And when we're used, we naturally put ourselves in a position not to be used again. And if we're wronged, our natural response is to defend, get even, and settle the score. And if we do forgive, it's usually conditional, based upon the actions of the offender. But in the parable of the unforgiving servant, Jesus teaches us something that's contrary to our nature. And the parable is in Matthew 18, and it starts with verse 23. But before we get into it, let me just give you a little bit of context. Earlier in chapter 18, Jesus' disciples ask him a question. They ask him, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? In which we learn from Mark, sin from an argument that they had with each other about which of them would be the greatest. So Jesus teaches them that the greatest are those who enter the kingdom of heaven with childlike faith and humbleness. The least are the greatest. And then he begins to proceed to teach them about resolving conflict amongst themselves. That if a brother sins against you, that you should go to him in private and try to make it work. And if that doesn't work, then you take a few other people with you and go and talk to them and try again. And if that doesn't work, then you take it before the church. And after that, Peter comes to Jesus and he says to him, he says, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Now, at that time, Jewish tradition said that you were to forgive somebody three times. That after three times, you were not obligated to forgive anymore. So Peter, probably after hearing Jesus' talk about resolving conflict, asks what most of us would probably ask. What's the limit? Where do I have to go? How much do I have to do it? And Peter probably thought he was being generous by saying seven times. But Jesus says to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. Now, some translations actually say seven times 70, but the number isn't really important. Jesus isn't putting a legal limit on it. He's talking in hyperbole. He's saying seven. Why not make it 77? Why not even make it 70 times 77? He's trying to tell Peter that grace has no limit to forgiveness. And so he begins to explain it in a parable. And he says, Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. And when he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. Now, it's hard to say what 10,000 talents is in, uh, are worth in terms of dollars today. Some experts say that it's a million dollars. Some say it's a billion dollars. But again, the number is irrelevant because Jesus, again, is speaking in hyperbole. The Greek word for 10,000 is miras, and it literally means 10,000, but... Because it was the largest numeric number that they had in the Greek language, it was also used figuratively to represent an uncountable number. So Jesus is saying, basically, that this guy owed a gazillion dollars. It was incalculable. It was an unpayable debt. And since he could not pay, his masters ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had, and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me, and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. I think a better translation for pity here would be compassion. Splotnizomai, try to say that real fast, splotnizomai is the Greek word for 
uh, have pity. And it is often translated as compassion. In the parable of the prodigal son, Luke uses the word splunknizomai in verse 20 when the father sees his wayward son coming home. It says, as he arose and came to his father, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion or splunknizomai and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And so what Jesus is saying here is that the, the king was moved by compassion, moved by love to forgive the servant of this huge debt. But when the, ser- the same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe. Now a denarii was a day's wage. So by today's standards, let's say if you make $100 a day, he owed him about $10,000. Not a small debt, but it pales in comparison to the debt that he was just forgiven a few moments ago. And again, notice the plea that his fellow servant has with him. It's the same plea that he gave with the king. His fellow fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, saying, have patience with me, and I will pay you. But he refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. Now, If you're like me and you read this, you go, man, what an ungrateful, petty, miserable person this guy is. I mean, who would act this way? And even as I say that, there's this little small voice in my head that says, wait a minute, you act this way. We act this way. We all do this. I mean, as Christians, we have such arrogance and insensitivity toward others and their sin. And although that we've been forgiven of everything through God's grace, we often act like we were forgiven by our own works and our own merit. And we take our stand atop the ivory pedestal and we pass judgment on those who fail or those who fall or those who struggle with the same issues day in and day out. And we hold grudges for the smallest of things. I mean, we will stay angry over miscommunication or inferred intent Or even worse, gossip that isn't even true. Hey, Fred, why aren't you talking to Butch anymore? Well, because his cousin's brother overheard his barber's dentist telling his uncle's next-door neighbor's dog that my butt looks big when I wear Levi Camo jeans. I mean, it's silly. It is. But we sometimes do that. And I think that's why Jesus earlier in Matthew 18 made it really clear That if we think that a brother or sister has sinned against us, we are to go to them, not wait for them to come to us. Because I believe that 99% of all conflict between people simply involves miscommunication, a misunderstanding that can simply be resolved just by talking to each other. I mean, if I say something that upsets you or hurts you, but it was never my intent to do so, And you never tell me how in the world will I ever make it right if I don't know that you're hurt. Because if you're waiting for me to come to you with the realization that I hurt you, you're going to be waiting for a long, long time. And generally if that happens, things tend to get worse. Because not only have I hurt you, but now I'm also insensitive and uncaring because I'm not coming to you to make it right. Then you build this bitterness and resentment in your heart towards me. And that can become very, very dangerous. Look at how Jesus finishes the story. He says, When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed. 
And they went and reported to their master all that they had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in his anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Now I don't know about you, but those sound like some pretty serious words from Jesus. Now there's a lot of debate centered around on the implications of these last few verses. I mean, was the servant a believer? Was he sent to hell for for not forgiving? I don't really want to go into all that debate. Because I think it detracts from the central message of the parable. And that is Jesus is really serious about forgiveness. Really serious. It's a big deal to him. And he taught about it often. Look at what he says in Matthew 5. He says, if you are presenting a sacrifice at the altar in the temple and you suddenly remember that someone has something against you, leave your sacrifice there at the altar Go and be reconciled to that person. Then come and offer your sacrifice to God. I mean, he's saying, don't come to me first. If you have something against somebody or somebody has something against you, you need to make that right before you come to me. And in his teaching of the Lord's Prayer, he says, forgive our sins as we have forgiven those who sin against us. And in Matthew 6, he says, If you forgive those who sin against you, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you refuse to forgive others, your Father will not forgive your sins. And in Luke, he says, Do not judge others, and you will not be judged. Do not condemn others, or it will all come back against you. Forgive others, and you will be forgiven. Given, you will receive. Your gift will be returned in full, pressed down, shaken together to make room for more, running over and poured into your lap. The amount you give will determine the amount you get back. And it's not just Jesus that says these words. I mean, it's all throughout the Bible. Paul says, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. James says, there will be no mercy for those who have not shown mercy to others. But if you have not been merciful, but if you have been merciful, God will be merciful when he judges you. And Peter says, most of all, love one another deeply. Because love erases many sins by forgiving them. All throughout the Bible, you see forgiveness and the importance it has in our lives. I mean, if love is the central theme of the Bible, then forgiveness is the conveyance of that love. It is the framework that love hangs on. But what really is forgiveness? I mean, obviously it's of great importance But have you really stopped to ever think about what forgiveness is? I mean, we often use the term forgiveness very loosely, and it may mean different things. I mean, the dictionary says that forgiveness is to grant pardon or release from a debt or offense. The Grief Recovery Institute says that forgiveness is giving up hope of a different or better yesterday. But I think the only way to truly understand forgiveness is to see it displayed perfectly the way that Jesus did as he hung on the cross. See, after being accused of a crime that he didn't commit, Jesus was arrested, ruthlessly beaten, abandoned by his closest disciples, whipped, literally whipped an inch from his life. 
And he's nailed to the cross and he's left there to die. And then he speaks these words. Jesus says, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. I mean, have you ever stopped to think about how much we have been forgiven? I mean, that incalculable, unpayable debt in the parable, that's the debt that we all owe God for our sin. I mean, we all need forgiveness. I mean, the Bible's clear about it. We've all fallen short of God's glory. We've all transgressed against God. And that sin that we have, that sin that we have leads to death. I mean, Paul says the penalty for sin is death. And it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how much good we do in our life because it will never pay that bagazillion dollar debt that we owe. It just won't. Because God's standard is perfection. And we all fall before that standard. But here's the coolest part about it. Jesus already paid that penalty for us. You see, God's going to judge all of us. Brian talked about it last week. God is going to judge all of us. And we're going to stand before him. And there will be no question of our guilt. We are guilty. All of us are guilty. The question is going to be, what sentence will you accept? And see, that choice is determined in this life. We either choose to follow Jesus and accept his payment for our sin, or we stand on our own merit and we're judged against perfection. I don't know about you, but that just blows me away. To think that the creator of the universe, the almighty, all-powerful, can-do-anything God, would sacrifice and give up so much just for me. I mean, what am I compared to God? I'm nothing. I'm insignificant. I'm unimportant. I'm unworthy. But yet Jesus loves us so much that he gave up everything. I mean, he gives up the rights and privileges of God. He gives up being God to forever be changed and come to this earth that he created and limits himself and suffers at the hands of those he created. It's unbelievable. It's unfathomable to me, this priceless payment that Jesus does just for me. I believe that's why he's so serious about us forgiving one another. Because he's saying, look at all that I did to forgive you. You must forgive each other. I mean, what he's saying in this parable is that when we experience God's unmerited forgiveness, it should influence all that we are and impact all of our relationships. Mercy experienced will produce mercy demonstrated. And we're talking about real forgiveness here. The same, I no longer hold it against you forgiveness that Jesus extends to us. I mean, Jesus says forgiveness from the heart. It's more than just giving it to God and saying, God, you deal with them. It's more than simply accepting the hurt and letting it pass. I mean, true forgiveness occurs when those cold emotions of unforgiveness are changed to warm, loving, compassionate, caring emotions resulting from a heartfelt transformation. Now, don't get me wrong. It isn't that forgiving somebody automatically creates these warm and fuzzy feelings toward them. 
especially when we've been wounded deeply by those close to us. That's why forgiveness is a choice. See, you have to choose to forgive. You cannot depend on your emotions. You cannot wait for that feeling to come. Those feelings are a result, not the catalyst. And most times you have to make that choice every single day, sometimes every single minute, because that pain is still there. Forgiveness doesn't magically remove the pain from the wound that's inflicted on you. Oftentimes, in my experience, it makes it worse. Because choosing to forgive means that I have to willingly endure the pain and absorb the full cost of the offense. I mean, we're not talking about reconciliation. It takes two to reconcile. It only takes one to forgive. And the one that forgives bears the full cost. Because that's what Christ did for us. He bared the full cost. I'm going to be honest with you. The other path is easier. It is. At least at first it is. Because when you're hurt deeply by somebody, anger, resentment, and bitterness, they are great friends. I mean, anger is a great insulator to pain. It's so easy for me to be angry And easy for me to hold on to that anger and to allow that anger to replace all the emotions that come from the wounds that others inflict on us. The problem with that is that even though anger numbs the pain, anger doesn't last forever. And it sours and it turns into bitterness. And bitterness is a cancer that eats at you, slowly destroying you day by day. Bitterness becomes this chain that binds you. At first, it's easy to bear. It was easy to put this on at the beginning. But now that I've had it on the whole time, it's heavy. It's easy to bear at first. But as time goes on, this weight grows heavier day by day, year by year. I think Jesus was so serious about us forgiving each other because he understands what not forgiving does to us. You see, forgiveness isn't for the person who sins against you because they may or may not accept your forgiveness. But forgiveness is for you. It's the path toward healing. And I say it is the path because there is no other path. Hear me when I say this. You can only find release and healing from your pain through forgiveness. There is no other way. Because this bitterness, this bitterness impairs our ability to give and receive love. I mean, when we're bound by bitterness, the communion that we have with God is broken. We cannot open our arms to embrace His love. We cannot open our arms to embrace the love of others. We cannot open our arms to give love. The only way to truly love and receive love again is to remove the chains. And you have to let them go. You have to let it go. It's easy to say, but it's hard to do. Especially if there are those that are close to us. I mean, the ones that we trust the most that have caused us pain. No, let me take that back. 
it's easy to say it's impossible to do. True forgiveness, forgiveness that's from the heart that Jesus talks about, is impossible for us to do in our own power. Because genuine forgiveness is not natural, but it's supernatural. And it's only through the power of the Holy Spirit that we are able to forgive. So how do you start? How do you even begin? I want you to watch this video with me real quick. Hey, Gary. Yeah, um, yeah I was just calling. I um, wanted you to know you can come by whenever, dude. It's your call. Whatever you want, any time will totally work for me. I was leaving you a message. Yeah. How'd you... Uh... Front door is open. Oh, great. Yeah. Great. Um, you, you want a drink? No, nope, I'm good. I'm good. It's hot. Hot today. day. It's a very hot day. Yeah, I'm, I'm really sorry. You know what? Just go ahead and have a seat. Let's, let's talk this out, all right? Sure. That's great. That's great. Um, where do you want to start? Where do I want to start? Okay. Where do I want to start? How about we start with you, my best friend since we were kids. What gave you the idea to think that it was okay to sleep with my wife? That's um. That's okay. That's that's good. Let's um. Let's start there. Um. I've wanted to talk about this for a while. That's that's why I left you messages, you know, and and I sent you emails. Jeff, quit dancing on the subject and just answer the question. All right. I don't. I don't know. You don't know. You can't say that. There, there wasn't a lot of thinking that went into it. No, 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 it. no, no. You can't say that. You're an adult. You, you didn't think. You don't know. We tell. We teach our kids that that's not true, Jeff. That choices have consequences. You did think. You do know. Beth is is leaving me. Well, good. Good. Sorry. You don't deserve no. that. No, I, I do. I deserve that. No, You're you right. don't deserve to be separate from your kids. I didn't come here to belittle you. Then why did you come? I came because I want you to answer the question, Jeff. Gary, I, I don't know what you want me to say, okay? This happened. I, I hate that this happened, and I don't know how to change it, okay? I, I don't know what you want me to say Are other you still than... lover? What? Do you still love my wife? It, it was never about love. And look, if you guys split up, I don't think I can take that because we're not going to split up, Jeff. It's chaotic. It's crazy. You've turned our world upside down, but we're committed to one another. We're not going to split up. It's not the issue. The issue is you humiliated me. We've been buddies. 
We went to college together. We were in each other's weddings. Our family has done family vacations together. I mean, people, they talk about us at church, Jeff. I can't go through the doors without them talking about us. I, I know, know what they're talking about. I know, okay? I know. I've messed everything up. I get that. And I want to make it better. I want to do you something. You can't make it right, Let me Jeff. pay for something. You can't pay for it. Yes. to hit me. What? Hit me. I'm not going to hit you, Come on, Jeff. I deserve it. I'm not going to hit you, Jeff. No, I'm not going to hit, hit me. you. Hit me. I deserve it. You deserve a lot of things. And don't you think that I don't stay up at night in my living room thinking about what you deserve. That's not what I'm here for. Why are you here? I'm here because I'm supposed to show you mercy. What? supposed to show you mercy. It doesn't even make sense. I know. No. What? No, you don't. What? No. No, no, you don't get to do that. Do what? No, you don't get to play God, I'm okay? I'm not playing God. I don't want your religion. I don't want you coming in here and pretending like you're forgiving me, and then you're going to hold this over my head for the rest of my life. I don't need that, okay? I don't need you being God in my I'm life. Just, I'd rather you just hit me and get about, it over with. It's not about being religious, Jeff. It's not about you. It's not about me. It's not the issue. The fact is, you're, you're my buddy, and I, and I love you, and... You, you knew better. She knew better. She's none of your business. It's about our relationship. And in this relationship, I'm supposed to show you mercy. It doesn't make sense. I know. I mean, if, if we were brothers, that, that'd be one thing. I mean, family, you're supposed to forgive. We're, we're just friends. I know. You know, I was, I was thinking this week about our friendship. And wondering if, if it would make it through this thing that I caused. And I was remembering when we were little kids. And we went through that phase where, like every day when we would see each other, we would play the game of mercy, right? And I was a little bit older than you. And I would, I would bend back your fingers until I thought they were going to snap off your hands. And, and you never once cried out for mercy. And, and as... I've been thinking about this situation. I realize that I've been you back so far. You still you still haven't cried out. I don't I don't think it's about me crying out for mercy. I think it's about me trying to show you mercy. And I don't even know how good I'm going to be at that because there are some days I'm so angry at you. I'm so angry at you. But that's what I'm supposed to do. I'm going to show you mercy.
we start? I don't know. Just take it one day at a time, all right? Just take it one day at a time. All right, I'm gonna I'm gonna go, okay? All right. Uh, hey, um, I've got your weed eater. Let me let what? me get that. I, I've got your weed eater. I, I borrowed it, and I need to give it back to I'll, you. You can get it from me later. When? Next. Soon. One day at a time. One day at a time. One day at a time. I, I think that's how you have to approach it. I mean, you have to allow the Holy Spirit to work in your life. And you have to take it just one day at a time.